I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Well, welcome to this episode. And my one of my biggest flaws, even though I'm normally very organized, is not knowing what episode it is. I think it's around 20-ish, 21-ish. So, so much has been happening. And again, what a time to be alive, what a time to do podcasts. And so much is happening. Obviously, Israel is grabbing our headlines. That doesn't mean that nothing else is happening. Quite to the contrary, a lot of other folks are using um, the, the current attention to do other stuff in the, the shadows, such as lots of censorship, lots of uh, pandemic laws, um, lots of other um, powers that actually are doing good work as diplomats, such as Turkey, are also bombing um, refugee camps in Syria, but uh, even, even whilst doing good work. Um, so yeah, let's, let's all talk about that. And uh, by the way, so today is a Viennese episode, so both Lucas and I are for once in the same place, so at Vienna Airport, um, getting one of these from the old world. So Austria just um, has splendid beer, so everything's good about Austria. Channeling um, Marks and, and Ingalls in the uh, in the cafes in Vienna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there are rumors that even, even Stalin or Lenin used to be in the Vienna <laughs> With my turtleneck sweater, I try to be very much new age liberal. <laughs> right. So um, let's let's quickly um, reflect what has been happening. I mean, Fabian and, and I'll, I'll play the ball into Fabian's court after this has been highlighting last time that this Israel-Palestine conflict, Israel-Hamas conflict, we should probably say has been the catalyst for so many things in Germany and suddenly certain statements that weren't possible just two, three, four weeks ago are now possible. People can talk about, um, like, hey, the people that we let in 2015, do you remember? <laughs> there were a couple of things that had happened since then, but this highlighted that they might not all that might not all be that compatible with our values. Um, and a lot of German politicians pointing that out. So that is one of the things. Another thing is, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's just too funny not to. Our um, mostly brain dead, not Fetterman brain dead, just like born like this, um, Foreign Minister Baerbock had uh, been making interesting statements where Mrs. Baerbock um, threatened the Houthi rebels, she threatened Iran, and she threatened Hezbollah. Do not, and I warn you, do not get involved in this war. Now, Mrs. Baerbock is not only an intellectual lightweight, but the classical statement that we used to make in high school, and I attended America in an American high school, was like, says you and what army? Well, the German army, true, um, but given that most of our um, equipment that, we, that never even got to us, like new anti-aircraft um, missiles, uh, went straight to Ukraine. So what is Mrs. Baerbock suddenly <laughs> using her posturing for? Um, a lot of other interesting things have been happening, in particular international law wongs, um, diplomat wongs, big fans of Bismarck, like Fabian. Quick footnote to that. Actually, I met Fabian um, 
during his honeymoon at a Mexican beach because my wife pointed out the only guy at a Mexican beach who was reading Bismarck. And <laughs> that's when my wife decided talking to the guy with the Bismarck <laughs> bit. And, and, and the, then the I heard she history, was from as, as Great say, Britain, so I said, hey, you guys are my heroes because of Brexit. And then you said, this guy's my hero. So yeah, that, that was actually an interesting, fateful, fateful meeting. Gentlemen, it's good. It's good to see all of you. I, you know, this is really inspiring me that if there were ever to be a CPAC Vienna, I think we should all meet there. Definitely. Uh, it should be the Eurobytes episode. Budapest closing up. I think they even have a kickle this year. Like typically, the chairman of the Austrian Free Party doesn't really give a lot about public speeches. There seemed a podcast from the Spiegel, um, which came out pretty well to be honest where they were like um doing four episodes on who is Herbert Kinkle and they they couldn't really find anything to smear him so, and they were like yeah he's typically pretty shy but he went to CPAC in Budapest and just saw the evil American scrub so anyway um great to see you two as well I'd just like to uh, start my part with some little comments on what Christian said before so Lucas you're very weak audio wise so, um sorry there you go. I'm sorry. Let me let me just uh, try to increase the audio volume. I'm not sure whether I can do this. Properly. All right. <clears throat> Was there any difference now? That's yeah, yeah, much better. Perfect. Seems like our audio provider actually did something else. So the interesting thing is, Christian mentioned before that German politicians, um, both Foreign um, Minister Bevel and Chancellor Schultz have changed their stance a bit, have become more, I don't want to say aggressive, but more, let's say, rational, reasonable. So uh, this week, last week's uh, people will cover, like, for all those who don't know it, the Spiegel is sometimes referred to as the, um, the um, artillery gun of democracy, basically. Um, it's like, it's the first and foremost news magazine. It's like, I think they took Time Magazine or Newsweek or something back in the 50s as an example for which people should be. Then the editor-in-chief got imprisoned um, for some weeks because they leaked some um, German army plans in the 50s or early 60s. Um, back in the days, they were like, um, how do you say, they were always part of the left, but they had a reason, they had reason to exist. Now they don't have it anymore. Um, Fabian knows, Christian knows, um, this is the magazine that brought forward um, Mr. Velocius, a guy who, who published stories um, such as Jäger's Grenze or Jäger's Border in, um, in English, where he allegedly met with um, people from like a, how do you say, a rope battalion who were who were shooting um, illegal immigrants on the Mexican-American border, and he was like, yeah, these are the Trump voters. Like, um, it all came uh, to be a lie. So Eden Spiegel had on its, on its cover last week a portrait of Olaf Scholz with a quote, we need to deport more people. And I found this really interesting. The Spiegel was the first and foremost magazine supporting migration. And his bear book is the most supporting of migration. So, I gotta say, um, what we see, um, like just about one and a half years ago, Olaf Schultz introduced the so-called Seitenwende, the turn of tides um, when it came to um, rearming or basically improving the armament of the German military. This hasn't happened, but the real change of tides has happened with how Germans think. Uh, Germans now have reached a point where they are kind of like fed up with um, the current politics. Um, CDU alone has voting power of all three ample parties, like you know, the Traffic Light Coalition. And the last thing that you mentioned before regarding um, who and which army, Christian, um, it's really interesting to admit that um, some days ago, there was a news article um, saying that the European countries pledged, I think, 100 million artillery shells or 10 million artillery shells for Ukraine, and they've been scraping the barrel, and all they got was roughly a third. And there's like, there's nothing left. We don't have anything left. Um, the, new, the new old Slovakian Prime Minister, Robert Fico, he now also said that uh, military support for Ukraine has to stop. They're going to support humanitarian efforts. They're going to stop military. Well, with that, to our Bismarck fan and Metternich fan, but probably a bigger Bismarck than Metternich fan, Fabian. He wouldn't be Mitch fan. He wouldn't be Mitch. Don't don't be too Kissinger on me now. 
So, anyways, um, yeah, I, th I, well, let's let's start out with what Lucas um, uh, just mentioned. Der Spiegel um, uh, had a headline. Uh, I think that's I think that's that's that is that is a big deal that uh, all of a sudden the German Chancellor has a headline saying we need to deport massively. Very interesting, but that was, in my opinion, um, and I think we concur that. The regional elections that we covered here in Eurobytes previous in the previous weeks in Bavaria and Hesse were the reason why um, there is now such a big shift on the federal level that they're saying, okay, um, if the AfD has 18% in Hesse, um, a very wealthy Western German state uh, with Frankfurt in its heart, um, it's it's time to shift course. If they will actually start implementing this policy um, is up for grabs. I don't know that, but still it's happening. Another big news from Germany. Um, Sarah Wagenknecht is starting her own party now. Uh, you have to, what you, one thing you have to understand about Sarah Wagenknecht is she is sort of like the pro-Putin, um, how would you describe her? Like a Louis Vuitton communist? A bit, a she, bit, is, she is a bit like um, Bernie Sanders. So don't, don't, don't get me wrong. So she's a yeah, communist. You know, but he has even, five houses. Yeah, I mean, even basic girls wear <laughs> Louis Vuitton now. It's no, it's no longer a big brand. I think she's like the Kate Spade of communists. Like... Um, it's it's an affordable communism. Let's say it this way. Okay. Anyways, um, yeah. But but she she is now st she's destroying the so-called the, the the party that she's a member of is called Die Linke, and it's a left party. It translates as the left party. Uh, but they're the they're the former SED, the former East German Communist Party. That's basically their um their successor party. The nice she nickname. is. But pardon? You, you know, you know the this nickname of Mauerschützenpartei, Berlin Wall Shooters Party. The Berlin Wall Shooters Party, exactly. So she's she is now poised to destroy this party. But what's strategically interesting about Zara Wagenknecht is that she is somebody that has a lot of, uh, I would say, favors in Russia. Uh, when she had her peace protest at the Brandenburg Gate. This was heavily covered by the Russian media. And if you even listen to Alexander Dugin, I know Putin's Rasputin, his, his, his uh, whisper and philosopher, um, he has always had well-wishing um, words towards Zara Wagenknecht. Now, her policy, how, how could we describe her? I, with, with her starting her own party, this will return a nationalist left to the German sphere. She is somewhat of a of a nationalist communist. How, how yeah, can you describe her? The um, I, I try one different thing. Um, you know, NPD used to be a party in Germany that's called Heimat. It was Germany's major, basically the, the successor to some kind of Nazi party, you know, the national. Democrat. And I think like 20 years ago, they had like a, they had like an advertisement of running a free election being like, um, you can only do social politics in a national way. And I think she's basically just that. Like, honestly, I couldn't really tell any difference between NPD basically being stupid Nazi people and Zarbank doing this kind of like civic communism or national communism, as you say. By the way, one other thing I got to add, um, Christian always has a hard time telling which episode this is. However, this is like three episodes after us publishing or telling you that Hubert Ivan apparently used to be a Nazi for his own teacher. Guess who they are proceedings against his own teacher. Lucas, your audio is really bad, just so you know. So, Thank you, sir. Okay. Try and improve it. Probably to to support what Lucas said. So the one thing that is interesting about Sarah Wagenknecht is that she is an intellectually consistent communist. And a lot of viewers might 
not remember that about the left, but the left used to be in the United States, in the United Kingdom and elsewhere, the left, for instance, used to be very much anti-immigration because at that time the left still made the argument and at that time, the left still believed fundamentally in supply and demand. And so Sarah Wagenknecht, uh, coming from a left perspective, said, look, it's all a capitalist ploy to up the supply and therefore needing to pay um, workers less. And if in the United States we actually look at the likes of Disney, how they actually imported critically needed talent from abroad, and then to add insult to injury, they made Disney IT employees train their successors from India, only then to fire them. I mean, there is a point to what she said. So she is one of the things that the left can tolerate the least these days, which is an intellectually uh, consistent uh, lefty. And that's, that's one of the many and, and especially interesting an anti -woke lefty. Um, things about her. She's Absolutely. she's in two questions. Um, first of all, can you hear me better now? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay, still trying. Um, and second question: Would you consider her like a based communist to keep it like uh, what we typically say? And third question: Can you hear me better now? Still trying. Do you have some headphones you could put on, maybe? I'm on headphones. I just tried to put it on a speaker now. Uh, I like the okay. computer. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Okay. While while you guys are having those issues, so I want to quickly shift the whole um, uh, Middle East Ukraine thing uh, to Todd. I want to ask you this. So I was reading. Well, first of all, I heard Biden in an interview say that um, when he was asked. Uh, with regard to supporting the Ukraine and Israel, uh, Biden's reply was, come on, man, we're the United States of America. Yeah. We can handle this. And the notion that I get from a lot of American people is that they're fed up with this garbage. They're fed up with this rhetoric. They're fed up with this always playing policeman. And now there's even, <laughs> they're now even talking about uh, drafting people. And I'm thinking, who who are they going to draft? The millennials, the the Gen Z kids. Um, how, I mean, isn't there a a? I mean, what is for just to understand it from a European perspective? How are people in America feeling about another failed policy? We have now a failed Russian policy. Biden's Russian policy failed, obviously, because we have war, and now. Uh, the Middle East policy is in complete shambles because we have another war. And this could even turn into something bigger. How are people in America feeling about this? Uh, obviously, this China policy. The China policy has failed utterly. And you can see this by the uh, provocative acts um, done by China in the South China Sea. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we're all sick of it. We're just trying to figure out a way to, to get there, to get rid of it. So, um you know, the House was a big move forward. It's it's to be seen how aggressive Mike Johnson is going to be, if he's going to be, you know, just another McCarthy or actually do what he says. So that was a huge step. It could be an inflection point here in the U.S., but there definitely is a, uh, a, a an anger rising here uh, and not just in the uh, in the in the in the right side of the sphere. I'll give you an example in Connecticut. Uh, we have a paper with the Connecticut Sentinel and there's a big globalist push in Greenwich. And they, uh, the, the, we called out this guy who was a globalist. I put it, I photoshopped his head on Klaus Schwab outfit and, and really pissed him off. But so, <laughs> but um, so he reported us to the police and now all the Democrats are, there are a lot of the real Democrats, not Marxists, uh, are pissed off at this. So you're starting to see a big shift, even on the, the left side of the football coming our way. But the thing that's happening around the world and in the U.S. is obviously this event was planned in Israel. Obviously, they were planning for the demonstrations to follow because they happened immediately. So you're seeing a lot of fear um, of the Muslim movement uh, and jihad in the U.S. And I'll just put this up. This is how... You know, we see the U.S. right now, um, and and that is, uh, you know, a problem. 
with the younger generations. So I'll flip it back to you. I mean, from a meme perspective, and again, sort of um, old Gen Xers, but well, millennials um, in, in the group, we are obsessed with memes. And obviously that meme, many viewers might know it as the, the current new thing. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's too interesting. I mean, in the United Kingdom, you can't make it up. The, in, in terms of beating the drum for the current new thing was quite literal. I remember when COVID hit and we all thought it was super fatal and we all thought it was really going to kill um, a lot of the National Health Service. Again, reminder to American viewers, the National Health Service is the British Health Service, which is centralized. But I always compare it to if the Department of Motor Vehicles were to run your health service. This is what you would get. But because we thought COVID, or we were told COVID was so fatal, we thought they, they were heroes. And so the system said, like, to show your, to show your solidarity with the uh, National Health Service, you must bang your pots and pans at 8 o'clock every night. And, and so we did. Um, uh, out of my Birmingham flat, which was mainly inhabited by, by hipsters at the time in a, in a hipsterish quarter of Birmingham. Yes, that kind of exists. Um, and everybody went with their pots and pans. <laughs> and it's almost like our puppet masters. And you say, oh, funny that. Well, let's see what, what we can do next. And suddenly it's like Ukraine. And people were starting to wear Ukraine flags. And even um, where I lived and um, sort of near the old Cadbury factory. I think Americans know Cadbury chocolate and the nucleus of the factory of the wonderful Quaker family who started this just like in the village of Bourneville that was um, right next to, 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 to where I lived. And so, lo and behold, there were like, like Russian, uh, no, not Russian, <laughs> Freudian slip, Ukrainian flags flying. And that was the next new thing. And lo and behold, um, right now there is another next new thing However, and it, that might get us to the crux of the matter, and we'll leave the realms of Europe for a second, but only for a second, and for me. Um, I mean, we are all interested, and you particularly, Todd, and I'm probably one of the few good things that uh, Noam Chomsky, as a thinker, a Marxist thinker, no less, has ever done. One of the few good things was the manufacturing of consent. And looking at everything, um, that's happening uh, right now. So for, I mean, I think we had a, we had a um, podcast, no, we didn't have a podcast on the 7th of October when news started breaking from Israel. And I first couldn't believe it. And when I heard, heard about, you know, babies being beheaded in the crib, whether they were beheaded or just, quote unquote, just killed, remains the subject of contention, but it shouldn't really matter. But I thought, hmm, I remember babies being taken out of incubators, so I'm going to be skeptical. But from what I, what, what I then heard from a lot of good skeptical journalists, what happened was true and mm -hmm. worse. Yeah. And that should, and I'm like, okay, this time it's going to be different from the Lebanon war, which Israel militarily did not win. And certainly psychologically in terms of the, the PSYOP warfare lost. And I'm like, well, this yeah. time is going to be different. But now, interestingly enough, Israel is losing that again, the, 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 the war for the hearts and minds, as it were. And that is really interesting to see. Yes, our politicians, even the likes of uh, my favorite retard and the whole universe, our foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, is like, I won Iran, I won the Houthi rebels, and I won... Um, Added a quick word about our no ad subscriptions. We're not supported by anyone but you. We don't get Zuckerbucks. We put a lot of effort and money into building a global company, all the way from Ukraine to Taiwan. We bring reporters from around the world the best news you will find anywhere. So please support us with our no ad subscriptions. Go to the top right of any of our sites, and it'll say subscribe with no ads. There you'll find, for 10 bucks a month, access to all of our sites with no pop-up ads on your phone. People love it. So please support us. We need your help. We really do. It's expensive what we're doing and we need to grow to save the Republic and we can't grow without support. So thank you very much. I'm not going to listen to you, but the interesting thing that set aside, I think the war for the hearts and mind, Israel is not winning that at the moment. And we can kind of talk, A, 
and I'm throwing the ball back to Lucas and Fabian. A. Let, let me throw in. Let me throw in something here about America before we get off that. There's a, a kind of what we call a come to Jesus meeting happening with some of the younger generations for all their policies they have pushed, and now guess what? The draft is coming and some other things. So here's a quick 50 second video to cap encapsulate this very clearly. So five years of rent-free living, free food, and no responsibilities versus being immediately obliterated by an AK-47 the moment I set foot on that battlefield. Hmm. And oh. that's if they can catch me, because you think, this draft occurs, I'm headed for the hills, baby. I know a place. It has everything I could possibly need, except for electricity and cell service, which is going to be perfect, because you won't be able to find me. Do I look like somebody who the authorities are going to be chasing after, hunting down, because they need me? They need me yes. to grab an assault weapon and go try to, like, save people's lives. Are you kidding me? Talk about a liability. Go find those people who are so, like, pro-Second Amendment and wear, like, freaking American flag thongs and all that shit. Like, go find them. They, they, they have a concealed carry anyway. They know what they're doing. They've, they've done the classes. Go find them. You don't want me fighting for this country. I promise you that. And you know it's true. So th that's kind of the... <laughs> Like, um, is, is, he, is he aware of the fact that he, like, he seems to be a man, right? I think. He seems, yeah. Like, he's a biological man. Let's yeah. Assume, uh, let's assume he's of age. Is he aware of the fact that he should have uh, registered with the Triple uh, S, the Selective Service? Like, yeah. I mean, I mean who knows what's going through his head? I mean, he's been pre drafted anyway. And, like, yeah. um, they're going to find him. Regardless whether they have cell connection or not. Hopefully, there's some kind of karma at the Selective Service Office. We we hope. And and, and the funny thing is, I <laughs> I watched this video a minute before we started the podcast. Oh, funny! I I, I, I cracked up, and I and then this is exactly exactly what I mean. The the Zillennials are gonna fight a war, and it, but look, I it's gonna be Zillennials for Zelensky. <laughs> Right. World uh, World War Z, World, <laughs> and there's actually a great book which is a zombie war written about. Todd, one question from an American perspective, and I've only uh -huh. heard that from uh, as a rumor that somehow in all the army commercials, suddenly white boys are back in the commercial. Is that true? I, I have mean, that seen that. I don't know if that's true, but I have seen that. Yes, I, I mean, mean I have so, seen so, that expressed. I haven't dug into the numbers and and looked. I mean, it would be interesting because essentially the, the kind of demographic group that the media relished on, um, well, I mean, if it, it, it's a family-friendly channel, close to kids' ears, but the one demographic that everybody loved to shed on were always white, young, southern mm -hmm. men, mm -hmm. and all these Kentuckians, as it turns out, due to their Scottish heritage, they're just pretty darn good fighters, and they're not enrolling exactly. well. Truth be told, there's one, the one branch of the U.S. Army which still makes me very, um, still somewhat optimistic amongst of the one branch that fulfilled its recruitment target is the Marine Corps, the one branch that still prioritizes proper fighting, that still does all the basics, bayonet, and have you. They still managed, but every other service did not. And so, so that for me is interesting. I'm kind of surprised. I would have thought the Coast Guard actually. All right. So with 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 us heading towards sort of the end of time, I just want to quickly um, finish up on the following thing. Number one, I think, and and we've discussed this so much that um, Europe has to handle the Russia question by themselves. This is not an American issue. This is a European issue. Um, and I think that a lot of people in the United States would be incredibly fed up with having to fight uh, in the Donbass for, for, for what? Um, so, but at the same time, the blob, as they're called, the foreign policy establishment in Washington, D.C., are going to have to realize that this problem will only be solved in the end of time by the Europeans themselves, by the Germans, between the Russians. And they're going to handle it maybe not the way that um, the people in uh, Foggy Bottom want them to handle it. But uh, before the United States even existed at a as a country, 
the Europeans and the Russians were already fighting wars amongst themselves. And then they made peace and then they fought war and then they brokered for peace and they have to figure it out. We have to figure it out ourselves with regard to the Middle East at the same time, like people are going, it, it's, it's a, I mean, if you break that issue down, it's a, it's, it's a biblical issue. This is a, this is a struggle between Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, just to throw the spiritual aspect in here. But it is. It's a brother conflict. I listened to an interview yesterday by the son of Hamas. Uh, he's a Christian. Um, he was on um, he was on uh, Pierce Morgan. And he was furious. And you should really listen to this interview. I really recommend listening to this interview because here's a Palestinian who, who grew up in Hamas. His father was one of the founding members. He later became a Christian. And he has a completely different vision of how that issue should be resolved. But the point is, it's their issue to solve, and they are going to solve it. Because I don't see a lot of people in the United States that are very, very excited about ending up fighting somewhere in the Gulf of Hormuz or the Mediterranean Sea. And with regard to Hezbollah, just mentioning this, these two U.S. aircraft carriers that are off the coast of Lebanon, um, it is a possibility. It is a military possibility that there could be some kind of a Suez crisis 50, uh, if the 1950s repeat where the where these um, aircraft carriers could be in really big, deep trouble. So Hezbollah is, is, is armed heavily, and right now they do have the strategic upper hand. However, if they do start firing, um, they will be out of ammo at some point. But I just want to mention that, like I said in the beginning, this is a failed Middle East policy. You have a failed Russian policy, and it's all falling on Biden's feet. And I actually dearly hope that the United States Congress with the new speaker, makes it clear that the American people are not going to fight endless wars. That notion needs to come across. And in Europe, the people here need to wake up by the sense that we need to do our homework in our backyard. That's all I got to say. This is the last thing I'd like to say for today. Um, as Fabian said, um, Americans seem to be decreasingly willing to fight wars that are not in their own front, that are not affecting them personally, in their personal lives, in their personal outcomes. Now, keep in mind, there's, I think, two carrier strike groups in the Eastern Mediterranean now, while the Border Patrol is lacking in, in a huge amount. Um, keep in mind that the last time the Americans had like a carrier group or like had warships off the coast of Israel, one of them was hit. Now, what I want to say is, in my opinion, American policies and American politicians, especially, should focus on what the Americans do really want. And as Fabian says, I think uh, the appointment of the new speaker of the House is actually a really good reason for it's really good point in time for him to actually show some courage and profile. Also, good into the elections, but around it's like next year it's gonna happen. Next year, like fifty-three weeks away, gonna be the next president's gonna be. So I think this is now the right time to actually set some directions. So, the, the, a couple of things that I want to pass, and you might see Lucas rushing. Uh, out in the front because he's got a train to catch, so it's not because we offended him about something. But there, there are a couple of things I want to mention and that I found, so one sort of comical note, um, which I would title with, if there was a newspaper headline, not now Zelensky, or <laughs> Zelensky kind of noticing, again, being in the realm of memes, that he was yesterday's current thing, wanted to go to Israel, everyone's like, not now, not now. <laughs> You're like, so yesterday's news. So, so that was comical. On another front, and, and again, I remain sort of the diplomacy um, buff for a second. And there is one power that kind of shows us, the Europeans and the Americans, how you do proper diplomacy. And I want to point out Turkey. And Turkey, so far has been showing us how you do how you do policies for your own country 
but at the same time you do not escalate a war. So Turkey in the Ukrainian war has managed to do business with Russia, stay friendly with Russia, whilst uh, selling Bayraktar drones to Ukraine that apparently were proved to be quite effective against Russian forces. You, um, Turkey then managed to broker the grain shipping agreement that was crucial for Africa. And Turkey has been, whatever else we may think about Erdogan, the voice of reason. That's not, please, that's not escalate this. Turkey has done it again. Turkey is negotiating in the background, but I should point out they are not the good good guys either. That's not what diplomacy is necessarily about. They've been bombing as well, what you could call ref uh, refugee camps in, in Syria, and it's not really been in newspaper headlines. You can Google it. But um, yeah, so, so there's a really interesting actor, and I always compare the Turks to the Englishman of the Bosporus. Very savvy diplomatic power, and I wish that our German diplomatic establishment had their prowess. Um, probably I'm just kicking it back to you guys. So, um, what are your last thoughts on diplomatic blunders and diplomatic triumphs in the whole thing happening um, right now? So, kicking it back both to your court and to Fabian, to your court. Well, I'll just say the quick that um, I, I think the the narrative is that Israel's losing the war, but I. And that may be true on campuses, but I'm not sure it's true in the hearts of people who actually vote and who make policy. So I think there's going to be a, a reckoning with the people who, like, for instance, the, the college kids who are, you know, pro Hamas are now getting doxxed in big light trucks outside their homes with their faces lit up if, if they sign the letters pro Hamas and, and they're losing jobs. And I, I think there's going to be a, uh, a reckoning, um, and this is just a meme we put together this week, on, uh, you know, essentially what they're really saying, um, supporting murder. You know, I've called out a lot of the, the secular Jews in Connecticut and in the Northeast for this as well. So I think there's going to be, um, that battle will continue, but I'm not sure that Israel is losing as bad as people think. Well, I think um, just to uh, point out what you just showed there, Greta Thunberg and her friends um, issuing a pro-Palestinian position. I mean, it's amazing how the left is sort of unraveling themselves and how they're exposing themselves who they really are. Yeah. Um, I mean, these people want a different world. They they want a a a, a revolution that is anti-Western. They despise our values. They despise who we are, um, and um, it the, it's 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 amazing that all these people that were so pro Greta Thunberg four years ago are now completely shocked. I'm not shocked. I knew this all along. Mm -hmm. I knew that Fridays for Future had anti-Semitic behavior. They they've been posing with communist flags. I mean, look, this is nothing new under the sun. I mean, this this is this is 1970s, you know, uh, Red Army Fraction communism type. The, the 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 bond between the Palestinian militias, terror organizations, and the um, the uh, um, the communist left has has always existed. However, again, I do want to make the point. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think that, um, and, and my prayer is that the decision makers in Israel are going to be smart and make smart tactical decisions that this whole situation is not going to escalate into something that is not worth escalating over. Further, my hope is that the Abraham Accords and, and, and the peace talks that already existed between Arab nations and Israel will continue to excel. And I also hope that there will be some kind of resolve if Hamas is destroyed, if the Hamas leadership will cease to exist, that Palestinian people will actually have the opportunity for a better life. This is, again, a part of the interview that... Um, the son um, that that yeah, I, I call him the son of Hamas. What he said, he he actually believes that if Hamas is defeated, 
that there will be people, Palestinians, Arabs, dancing in the street of Gaza, that they are finally liberated. Oh, you've seen those videos come out already, right? Of the women who are saying, you know, they won't let us leave. They'll shoot us if we try to get out of here because they want us as human shields. Exactly. I mean, these people are, and they're not interested in, uh, you know, bettering the lives of their own people. They're not. They're they're filled with hatred, and their hatred is their policy. And it's and 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 we've always seen this in history that uh, any policy, any movement that is built on on pure hatred will always end up on the losing side of history. And they're going to end up on the losing side of history. I think the 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 key thing though to take away is that. Um, we in the West have just been incredibly naive, uh, you know, funding, financing this, these organizations that, that fund terror in the end. Uh, the European Union is going to have to rethink their, their funding uh, for, for the Palestinians. The, um, and, and actually, you know, start actually threatening uh, them by saying, if you don't stop funding terror, we're done funding you. Um, uh, you know, uh, Fabian, I think it's it's almost a Galapagos Islands kind of situation where it's it's survival of the fittest. I mean, if you're not willing to stand up for your own culture, your own, you know, uh, survival and you allow this kind of stuff to happen, then you're going to face the consequences. You know, and I just like the shots, if you're going to be vaxxed eight times, you're going to face the consequences, you know, just just kind of my thought. And our and our leadership has been so horrible and so frightening um, that we're not on the side of the fittest. That's yeah, the problem. I know. I know. Well, the, the people may be. You know that that's the, that's the good news. The mm. good news is that I always see contingents of people who are rising up, who are willing to make a difference, who are willing to change, um, who are willing to restore, who are willing to revive. But our leadership is in in i mean this is this is france 1788 one year before the revolution i mean yeah. this is how our leadership is acting we have it's intentional though i mean i think i think i think that it would, these people were planted i think this is a long-term plan to destroy western civilization but that that's where i come out on this probably a couple of thoughts and then hopefully viewers find them interesting. So uh, I, last time I used the overused phrase of the chicken having come home to roost. And obviously as a German, I shouldn't opine much about um, what one would call broadly Jewish attitudes. And I don't purport to, to, to be able to speak of that, about that at all. But as far as uh, the empiricism is there, um, I, I would say American Jews, by and large, have been very liberal and have been very much advocating liberal causes. And then suddenly seeing how that turned out in terms of if you're too naive about that, or like the same applies for European liberal Jews, and you see the hatred in our streets, and we're, you know, in Berlin and Brussels, folks are, are making horrible statements. And so, 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 so that, that would be interesting. Another thing I find interesting, and that leads us over to um, probably the final thought, what always fascinates me about diplomacy is the kind of people who shape it, who've got the right model, and those who've got the wrong model of the world. And those who have the wrong model of the world are all those fancy diplomats from the Tuft School of Diplomacy or the Woodrow Wilson Center of Diplomacy. We all don't like Woodrow Wilson anyways on so many levels. Um, I mean, part of part of what would be his racism, uh, blatant racist and terrible person in so many ways. And kind of like Joe Biden, Woodrow Wilson was not very, was not all there towards the end of his uh, second, uh, towards the end of his presidency. But um, so I would like to contrast two people to our politics. I would contrast Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu to our politicians. I would like to contrast Donald Trump to our politicians. Benjamin Netanyahu is an interesting guy. On the one hand, he's the only heads of state, if I compare him to German or English politicians, who's actually been wounded in action. So the worst thing that German and um, British politicians have ever faced is, face, is failing an exam. And... Um, Whereas Benjamin Netanyahu has been wounded in action. And he's an interesting guy, and he's no dumb person. And um, 
At the same time, I think he made a fundamental mistake when he pushed settlements in West Bank too much. And not only more, more point of view set aside, he also um, created a situation where the IDF was dispersed. You've got 400,000 settlers to protect. I mean, how good are you going to be at the border with Gaza? So that's why Benjamin Netanyahu, for me, is an interesting and a tragic case. But still, I would rate him in his statement statesmanship for his, re in spite of his recent fails, I would rate him above all European politicians because that man has actually bled and fought for his country. Now, why I do think Donald Trump is a superior statesman above all those refined European politicians or American diplomats who have attended the Tufts School of Diplomacy or the Woodrow Wilson Center is Donald Trump's view of the world is that of New York. That's where he bases models of deals need to be done with unsavory characters, with scary characters. And he thinks in terms of leverage. And he almost, he broke out the Abraham Accords and he probably would have even gotten a, he looked into the, into um, a Venn diagram of overlapping interests between a lot of the Arab states between Saudi Arabia that we don't have that deal that that brinkmanship that deal maker attitude amongst the current elite and I only and I'm looking forward when he gets into power if nothing else happens that's untoward of actually looking at a lot of things very negative feet it's united Iran it's about to unite Iran, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia. And like with it, like a nexus that historically could never be. If you play it really stupid, you're going to unite those. And that will never happen under Donald Trump. People look into the Venn diagrams and overlap, and he's like, let's make a deal that's in our favor. But everybody kind of wins as well. And um, as a European, I don't look at our highfalutin diplomats who speak French really well and this language really well and are very well dressed and elegant dudes. I place a lot of hope in Donald Trump, but I'm not, not shy to say that here. And let's see what happens. And I play that final thoughts back to you guys. And then um, let's see where the world is next week. Go ahead, Fabian. We're living in All a right. different world. Well, I'll, just, I'll just make um, things worse. So um, because um, in the last two years, we've witnessed something that in Europe was always a uh, sort of a well-kept policy. I don't want to say it, uh, it was a secret, but one of the stances that people always had was keep Russia out of the hands of China. I mean, this was something that even in the United States under Nixon was... Cold War policy, you always divide Russia and China. You keep them closer, both of them closer to Brussels or Washington than you do to them, Beijing and Moscow. So what Christian just mentioned is that we have an alliance of, of, of Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, but we also have a proxy friendship of Russia and China. And by the way, they're all in an organization um, called the Shanghai Corporation Organization. Turkey's not yet a member, but they're um, aspiring to be. BRICS is extending. I mean, look at, I mean, you just have to look at the numbers. You have to look on a map. And what's happening is that the Eurasian continent is uniting against the West. By the way, Africa is well in the hands of the Chinese and the Russians. So geostrategically, we've played our hand pretty badly in the last 20 years. And um, one of the reasons, as I said earlier, was because of these dumb wars. So the the situation that we have now is where you have this whole block allied against you, this axis. I don't want to say axis of evil. I don't want to quote Mitch McConnell. I'm sick of that rhetoric. Um, I'm sick of people like Mitch McConnell telling the world of any threats. No, listen, you need to go to a retirement home. Maybe we can actually have somebody that handles it a little bit better. But the point is that um, there is an axis aligning and the West has to be incredibly well aware of this. And I don't think they are. 
So as for now, I'm going to close on a sort of negative note um, that uh, we the world order is reshuffling and we're going to have to figure out how we realign in this. And the people that are in charge right now, I don't think there is that either awareness of it or the ideology or the idealism that drives these people is way stronger than material forces that are structuring and ruling this world, which is hard power. But again, Annalena Baerbock, as Christian, never failed to mention twice or even three times, threatens terror groups with words. Enough said. Well... I guess we're going to move till next week. Uh, before we adjourn, I'll put this up. Um, so check Eurobytes out next week. And uh, don't watch TV for Stupid People, which is Fox News. And come to CDTV. We're launching our 24-7 streaming operation in January. So things are going to be rolling. So thank you, guys. Anything else? Yes. So... Probably to kick off next week, uh, week's meeting, I would like, and in spite of the slightly downward note that we ended on, I'd like to have American viewers, also European viewers, look into 1983, the Grenada intervention. And in 1983, NATO seemed to lose the Cold War. And then see where we were just six years after that. So it's never too late. All it takes is the right people at the helm. And uh, God willing, we might soon be able to do that. And speaking about God willing, we'll probably carve out deliberately a 10-minute segment on Christianity in Europe, which is slightly what we dropped over the last episode. Great. Understandable about, um, understandable, you know, given the current news that, that we, we, we felt look, that, that might almost be contrived if we dragged that in. But we, do, we don't want to lose uh, that bit, and Fabian did it so well, so we'll... We'll revisit that, and um, in the meantime, I'll, I'll work on on a melange, a, a, a potpourri of, of nice corals being put together as a Eurobyte soundtrack. And uh, well, see you next week. Okay, take care. Before we get started, so welcome everybody.